All righty, we're in this new series, First Things First. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 6. If you want a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll bring one right from the back. We've got people with them to share with you. We want you reading it yourself, getting yourself into God's Word. So just raise a hand, and somebody will hand you a Bible. And we're looking in Matthew 6, starting verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And money. Do you know Jesus talked a lot about money? He, he more than most topics. In fact, he talked more about money than heaven and hell uh, combined. And he knows what is treasured by the people of this world. And uh, you know, of course, most people in Jesus' day would be like most people today. They're they're thinking like the world. They live in the world. They think like the world. Basically, thinking: get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. And, uh, you know, that thinking more is better or how do I provide for my needs and my security and my comforts and my stuff and my toys and my pleasure and my me, 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 my, my, my. And Jesus is talking in this passage on the, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's surrounded by his disciples, his devoted followers. And then around them is, is the throng, the curious public. And then on the outskirts are the skeptics with their arms folded, wondering, hmm, why did he say it like that? Why didn't he think about, or I can't believe that he's talking about. And he addressed the topic of treasure and wealth and money. And so most people in our day and age, would, and even here in church, would fit into that group of three. Are you one of the fully devoted followers? Are you the one of the curious ones that's listening to Jesus? Are you one of the skeptics going, why can't he preach better? You know, um, you know what I'm saying? Is we're, we're in one of those three groups, and we want to be a sincere, devoted disciple. We want to be one of the fully devoted followers, but then when we start to realize the cost, maybe we slide toward the group that says, well, hmm, that's nice, or that's interesting, just like the audience that was around Jesus. So Lord, help us. Jesus is speaking primarily, he doesn't mind who hears it, but he's speaking to his fully devoted followers, the ones who have recognized that he is in charge of everything. They have claimed him as their own savior. They've asked him to forgive their sin and to be part of their life. And uh, they bow before him because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They put him in charge of everything in their life. They've taken the attitude that says, Lord, whatever you want in my life, the answer is yes in advance. I'll be who you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. Jesus, as you lead I, to the best of my ability, I will follow you. And they put him in charge of everything, their time, their talents, their treasure, their family, their friends, their foes, their hopes, their dreams. They recognize that everything in this world is so temporal, it's fleeting, that we're here now, but this world is not our home. We're just passing through, and this world is not all there is, and it's not going to last forever or even very long. So Jesus talks about treasure, and Matthew picks up on it. Now, Matthew, of course, you know, he had been a tax collector. He was a CPA type, and the word treasure is 24 times in the New Testament, and nine of them are right here in the book of Matthew. He understands treasure. He's counted it. And uh, so the question that we're trying to answer is, what does Jesus want his fully devoted followers to identify and pursue as treasure? 
what would really be treasure? I mean, someday soon, God's people are going to live in God's presence in heaven forever and ever. And for the believer, God is our Father. He's our Heavenly Father, and He loves us, and He's adopted us into His family. And and we're to live by the values of our new adopted family, because soon we're going to be living in the Father's house in heaven. So Jesus is saying, don't get too invested here in this world, in the here and now, because it's short term, and it's so uncertain. Anybody who's watched the market just since Christmas knows that it went up, 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 and then down, 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 down. And uh, you know what I'm saying? It's uncertain. And it's, we know that it'll be, keep doing those two things. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. And, and uh, so where to invest yourself? And Jesus talks about it. He basically says there's two ways you can do it. There's two paths that you can pick, two different approaches. And you can only pick one, though. You can't go both ways at the same time. Robert Frost wrote a poem about this. He called it The Road Not Taken. You've probably heard this before, huh? But here it is. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that's made all the difference. Now, in short, he's saying there's two paths and you can pick this one or that one but you can't take them both. And you don't know in advance what's down the path. What are the upsides or the downsides? What are the ramifications, the benefits, the implications? But you have to choose, and you can only choose one. And what you choose will make all the difference. How do you pick? Well, get a guide. Don't just guess. Get somebody who's been down the path and knows where it goes. And Jesus is the best guide. He knows the whole uh, beginning from the end, and he can guide you. Jesus instructed his fully devoted followers how to invest their lives and their treasure so they didn't have to guess. It's a sure thing. And he told them which way to go. Look what he says. He says there's two places to store treasure. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying there's two places you can invest on earth. Here on earth, it's what most people do. But Jesus is saying this isn't the best place to invest because moth and rust are going to destroy and thieves break in and steal. I mean, think about thieves. If you have anything of value, there's probably somebody out there right now who's trying to figure out how to take it away from you. And they don't even have to break the door down to your house anymore. They can steal it from you and take identity theft or they can steal it from you electronically. Or rust, without constant upkeep, rust will erode your stuff. You just add a little water and a little salty air off the ocean and you will be on a first-name basis with rust. Some of you obviously are. 
And then moths get into your clothing and, and destroy it. Jesus' day, people would store up treasure in expensive clothing that they bought. And moths always seem to find their way to the most valuable clothing, don't they? The kind that you, you buy that are really expensive for just that special occasion. And so they sit there for quite a while, most of the time. And then you come back and a moth has found your favorite dress for lunch, and doesn't just munch carefully on a corner or in the backside of the hem. They seem to eat from the spot that's the most obvious and impossible to repair. So it ruins the garment. I mean, what a waste. All that money to look so good, gone. I had kind of an experience that was similar to that when I first got here to church. I asked for a couple people to help me uh, decorate my office, brought in a couple, you know, interior decorator types to say, how do we make this a nice space so when people come in, uh, they can relax and we can talk about things that matter. And so in the process, they looked around the office and said, well, where are your diplomas? I said, what? They said, well, yeah, you're supposed to hang the diplomas on the wall. I said, no, no, I got them in a file in the drawer. They said, no, no, you have to hang them on the wall. I said, why? They said, because people do that. They, they hang the diplomas, so get them out. So we had to get them out. We actually had to write back to one of the schools to get one and put three of them up on the wall, one, two, three, like that. And, and so they put them in these nice frames and hung them on the wall. And the first day I walk in, after they've been hanging there overnight, there's a little pile of dust on the second frame. Okay, and I brush it all off. And the next day I come back and there's a pile of dust right there again on the frame in the same spot. And I brush it off. Next day there's a pile of dust there on the same. There's a termite in the frame, on the top frame. And it's working to turn the whole thing into dust. And it doesn't care if the diploma is from high school or if it's your doctoral dissertation. You know what I'm saying? It's just have a, it's doing what termites do. It's taking something that we would have thought is valuable and really important and turning it into trash or into lunch. One of the two. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's part of the process the termites are in this world to keep temporal things time-locked, that they're not going to last forever. They're not of eternal value. From dust to dust is the way of the world. And to invest one's life striving to collect and to amass a treasure with no thought of owing God anything, to be so self-absorbed rather than investing your life to serve others, well, it's short-term thinking. It's a path that leads to destruction, death, and a lot of dust. You know, there was a guy that came up to see Jesus, and he's so impressed that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all wrote about him. One told us that he's rich. One told us that he's young. One told us that he was a ruler. So he's called the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus. Here he is. Uh, you know, he's, he's got youth on his side. He's intelligent. He's wealthy. He's powerful. And he has a burning question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know, keep the commandments. And he says, done. Check that off the box. So he's conscientious. He's disciplined. He's thoughtful. It's premeditated. Now, nobody said he was humble, but Mark tells us that Jesus looked at this young man and loved him and then said to him, well, here's what. Go give away all your stuff to the poor. Then come and walk with me. Come and follow me. I guess he would have been the 13th disciple if he'd said, okay. Let's do it. But the man, it says, left very sad because he wanted the treasure of Jesus, but the price seemed too high at the time. 
You ever had something like that? You go find something that you want, and the price just seems too high. So you wait, and you come back, and the price is now higher. And then you come back later, and the price is higher. And this just seemed out of reach to him. He would have to give up everything. I mean, you understand, don't you? He had this and he had that. He had collected from who knows where. He had the family heirloom and the bucket of something. And he had a lifetime of clutching that stuff. And he could have traded it all away to get to walk with Jesus for three years and then to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And look at the choice that he made. And many of us here would do the same thing. We get caught in the trap of the world if we're not intentional because it has this allure. It's got this magnetism. It's got this draw, this world, its outlook, its mentality, the perspective that says right here is the only thing that matters. This is our home. And you got to take care of yourself. If you don't look out for number one, nobody else will. And you earned it. It's all yours. Rather than remembering, wait a minute. My life was broken, and I was captured in sin, and without forgiveness of Christ, I don't stand a chance in God's sight. So I gave all that I had to Jesus because he gave his all for me. And at that point, the Bible says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price so that you're not really the owner of your, even in your own life anymore. You're the manager of everything. God is the owner of everything, really. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You arrive with nothing, you spend some time collecting and calling it yours, and then you leave it all here. And everybody's done that. It all belongs to God. And Jesus at one point was talking about a guy who had, was a farmer, and he had had an incredibly great year as a farmer. Do farmers have great years? Anyway, this guy had, and his barns are bursting, trying to hold all the harvest. And it can't. There's so much. So he says, what am I going to do? I can't fit everything in my barn. And instead of thinking about generosity or helping the poor or caring about other people or giving some away, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear the barn down. I'll build a bigger barn. Then I can fit everything in. Then I can have it all stored up in the last way past the end of my life. I'll spend all the rest of my life in ease and in pleasure and thinking about me. Well, that's the way of the world, but you know what God thought about his plan? Which, by the way, he never asked God. Hey, God, do you think this is a good plan? God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? I imagine it irritated God so much and said, let's have him in for an appointment first thing in the morning. And then Jesus said, so, this, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, I, I think it means that you think of God as your treasure, that the relationship with you have with God is, is more valuable than anything else in your life. I, anything you see that you can see, anything you can touch, anything you taste, anything you can take, it's temporal. It's of this world. None of it's going to heaven. It's all staying here. And when you make God your treasure, when you love God above all else, you're so blessed now and forever. Jesus said to his followers, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And he prayed to God on our behalf. It's found in John 17. He said, I give them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. 
Just as I'm not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is saying we have a choice to pursue the treasure of this world or to invest in heaven where no moth and no rust and there's no thieves. And it's a long-term investment that'll have an eternity of reward. So how do you invest in heaven starting now? Well, you read God's word and obey what he commands. You grow to think like Christ, to speak like Christ, to work like Christ did. There's a holiness of character that you develop. You use your life to serve others in the name of Jesus. You make disciples of Jesus from your family and your friends and your neighbors. You know, I put all this down, and then last night I got to bed a little too late, and I have some neighbors that, well, it's Saturday night. They like to party, and I understand that. In fact, even in their backyard, it says Margarita. You know, welcome to Margaritaville. And, and unfortunately, it's right outside my bedroom, and they were just having a party last night, and I'm thinking some sub-Christian thoughts about needing to get to sleep and about they should know better. And I'm about ready to yell something out the window, you know, something spiritual like, shut up, you know. And I just, I don't want to sound too spiritual, but later, Lord, Lord, what should I do? I mean, these are the people that I want to go to and say, would you like to come to church on Easter? Because you'd have a wonderful time and you need Jesus, okay? And they do. And so anyway, I'm lying there and I'm praying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I can't get to sleep. It's too noisy, but I need to get to sleep. And in a sense, I can't say God spoke to me. Just, I just waited. And all of a sudden, I mean, within two minutes, it started raining. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you that I didn't mucky it up, you know, before, before you had a chance to do your work. And I don't know, the party moved indoors, I guess. I, I didn't hear about it anymore. Um, so how do you invest in heaven? You see, God is your treasure. And you work on sharing him with others and doing acts of kindness and service in his name and giving to the work of Christ through churches and missionaries and ministries. I mean, Jesus said your affections are drawn to what you treasure. And he says you could store your treasure in one of two places, here in this temporary world, which is just here and now and isn't going to last forever and isn't going to last very long, or in heaven where Jesus is and where you're going to spend eternity in his presence. And then he says there's two perspectives to decide priorities. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in your eye is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now this is a tougher passage than some, but I think he's kind of talking about the eye like it's the eye of your soul. And if something is clouding it or getting in the way, you can't really see, or maybe it needs some correction. I don't know. Let's, let's take a little eye test, shall we? You want to pop that up there? There you go. Can anybody read the, uh, the bottom line? Okay, what about the top line? I, can, can you make it a little easier for us to read, please? Oh, good, 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 good. Okay, who can read the, uh, the top line there? All right, who can read the second one? The third one. Okay, cover one eye. Who can read the fourth one? The bottom one? How many think, maybe it's time to go have my eyes checked? Yeah, 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 I don't know. Jesus uses this word picture of if your eyes are healthy, you can see what you need to see. And if they're clouded, you can't see what you need to see. And we make decisions based on what we see. 
And sometimes that's determined by the, the condition of our eyesight. Sometimes it's determined by which direction we're looking or what we're looking to find. See, some of this you can choose in advance to say, Jesus, I want to see what you want me to see. I want to fit in with you, not necessarily fit in with this world. And the, all the emphasis on keeping up with the Joneses or having a certain lifestyle or listening to the world say, what you need is a little bit more if you're going to survive, if you're going to thrive, if you're going to be secure. I mean, Bob was bragging on, boy, we've done so great. And I'm thinking, well, what they, experts say is, remember, past performance doesn't promise future returns, right? In other words, there's still going to be challenges ahead, and we heck, have to live with those kind of anxieties, and what are we going to do? We'll talk some about that next week, I guess. But, you know, uh, we, the world tells us you've got to have a little more if you're going to be secure or be happy, as if worldly wealth could buy security or happiness. Or are you going to gaze on Christ as the one in charge of your life, as the person who loves you more than anybody else, and he's the owner of all your resources, and he can be the director of your attitudes and values. Do you have him in full view? I mean, sometimes we don't even realize when our vision is getting dimmer or blurred or out of focus. I had a friend who at 75 had his uh, cornea transplanted by somebody who was 25 who had an accident and died. And after his eyes got adjusted, he said, you would not believe. I said, how's your new eye? He said, well, you would not believe the new eye and the color that I can see in it that I don't see in my 75-year-old eye. So I thought my eyesight was doing fairly fine, but this new eye is like I see in technicolor. He says, I had no idea. I had lost that much color out of the world in the last 50 years. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And I think it's worth us praying, dear Jesus, give me eyes to truly see you in my life, to see you at work in my world, to see you working in this world. I live my life with you in view in every decision I make. Jesus, give me a greater view of heaven, my permanent home. And help me to stay on the road less traveled on the way to get there. Give me an accurate read on my treasure. It's not my resources. My treasure, Jesus, is you. You in my life. So refresh my eyesight that I may see you in all your splendor. And do this right. Two ways to look. What are you looking for? And then he says... There are two masters, and you can pick just one. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He says you can't serve God and money. You have to choose. You know, as a missionary kid in Africa, which Nigeria had been under a British system, so they, when we got there, they still had tea time and nap time every day, uh, these, you know, uh, British habits that, that uh, the missionaries had adopted. And so my parents thought that was great, and they would take that nap time every day. Well, electricity wasn't dependable, and so their four kids would get together at nap time, and we'd play a, a game, usually Monopoly. And so, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you're playing right now with Albertsons playing Monopoly, but if so, I need tag 175. But um, um, <laughs> anyway... Um, 
when you play Monopoly, you have limited resources, and it goes down from there, and you have some tough choices to make, and where do you put your money? Where do you invest your treasure? And you could say it's just a game, and it's just a gamble because you got dice, but it's not really like that. It's, it really is up to you. you. You have to make some choices at every turn because there are not enough resources to do everything you want to do. And if you get more resources, you used to have, end up with more wants of things to do. And uh, so there's strategy, and you have to work at it. There's a little bit of luck and a little bit of hope and maybe some compassion from one of the other players. And we always had four players, and the game could kind of be summarized like this because there was always one in each of these quadrants. Cry, laugh, quit, or win. Right? I mean, there was one, uh, cry, laugh, quit, or win. In fact, one sister just claimed quit for her own after a while. You know, and I personally, I was just playing for fun. It is just more fun when you win, okay? <laughs> and if you're going to win at the game of life, then you have to choose God as your master, not money. You have to pick God as the treasure and not pick the allure of the world. And you can't have both. And we try, but you can't have both. Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. You have to choose. Both cannot have your ultimate allegiance. One has to win over the other. Why can't you serve both? Because you can't take both paths simultaneously through the yellow woods. They diverge, and you got to pick which path. Bloomberg, in his commentary on Matthew, said this, quote, We try so hard to create heaven on earth and to throw in Christianity when convenient as another small addition to the so-called good life. Jesus proclaims that unless we are willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. People who serve money think this world is their home and everything's here. People who serve God know heaven is their home and we're just passing through here and fully devoted followers of Christ have already chosen in advance, I want my treasure to be Christ. So it's not an easy thing to be a Christian in this world and you can't do it in your own strength. Because we still feel that pull, that magnetism of the world trying to pull us in its direction. I don't know if you've ever been out in the woods or in the wilderness trying to use a map and compass to figure out where am I and how do I get to where I want to be. Because if you pull the, you know, and if you pull out the compass and look at it, there's a needle. What direction does the needle point? North. Now, you're kind of right, okay? Um, the needle points north. Most of us would assume that the, the most northern geographic point in the, in, on the earth is the North Pole. Okay, it's not a trick question. It's the North Pole. And, and, but the, the needle on the compass is impacted by a magnetic field in uh, northern Canada near Ellesmere Island. It'll mess with your compass, it does. Everybody's compass. And so when you pull out a compass, you align it to north. It's pointing at this magnetic field in northern Canada. It's not pointing at the North Pole. And if you're just walking 100 yards, it probably wouldn't make a whole lot of difference. But it depends. I mean, depends on where you are. You can actually read now in the guidebooks to say, okay, adjust your compass by 15 degrees or 17 degrees or 20 degrees based on where you are. So... The magnetic pin is responding to the Earth's magnetism. That means that the compass needle is pointing at magnetic north. It's not pointing at geographic north. 
And if it helps you, the magnetic field shifts around a few meters every year. So without making some adjustment on your um, compass, you're going to feel the pull of magnetic north, and you'll never make your way to true north. So we have the same kind of pull in this world as Christians, don't we? We're trying to go to true north, and there's this magnetic pull. And if we're going, we have to make some adjustments if we're going to live in this world with its values and its treasures and uh, what is attractive and tempting here, but it's temporal and it doesn't last. So we need to orient and to reorient and to reorient our life to stay on a true goal, a treasured relationship with God forever in heaven. See, people who serve God know heaven is their home. And people of this world want to be rich in this world, but fully devoted followers choose instead to be rich towards God. Not that we're not rich. Everybody here is rich by world standards. You get that? We are some of the richest people in the world just living here. So what that does is it gives us choices of how we're going to guide and direct our resources. And as God looks at the pattern of where we put our resources, He will know where our heart truly is. So since you have opportunity to make choices, choose Jesus as your treasure. Choose to follow him into generosity or pouring your lives into serving others or into compassion. Choose to follow Jesus laying up treasure in heaven because generous people are the happiest people in this world. And money is not first and foremost. That place is reserved for Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Give us your thoughts. You think so differently than the world. We hear the world all the time yelling and screaming its values. And yet you have the truth. And you are able to give us that adjustment so that we can focus on true north, so that we can be rich towards God, so that we can love you with all of our heart, so that we realize that you are our treasure May we love you above all other. Jesus, may we say along with every other fully devoted follower, Jesus, you can have me for whatever it's worth, that I will think what you want me to think, I'll say what you want me to say, I'll be who you want me to be, I'll do what you want me to do, I'll go where you want me to go. I'm yours, and I love you, and I will serve you to the best of my ability. I will practice your generosity. I will lay up treasures in heaven where we will spend eternity in the presence of our treasure, God himself. Thank you. We love you. Amen.